This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 103. Oi! Don't be scared. All of this is new to you and new can be scary. When people need help, I never refuse. There's this moment when you're sure you're about to die, and then you're born. I know exactly who I am. I'm the doctor. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Don Bethanelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the Battle of Ranscor of Kolos. And joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, Father Corey will not be joining us today. Uh, he Aww. has been taken captive by Tim Shaw. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> a virus. Yes, he came down with a little bit of something and is unable to uh, join us. So uh, get better, Aww. Father Corey. Uh, yeah. But of course, we needed to get this uh, episode out and discussed. But before we do, Jimmy, uh, if you could give us a, a brief word about our giving campaign, which is coming to right. its, its climactic point. Right. So we have uh, just a, just a short time left in the giving campaign. Uh, we're going to wrap it up by the end of the year. And so that means that we really need to hear from you. Uh, a number of months ago, uh, StarQuest stepped out in faith and began producing a whole bunch of new podcasts. Uh, we knew that once people got to hear them, got to know them, they would uh, see the value in them and respond by supporting them. And people have been doing that but not enough. And so in the new year, we're going to have to be taking a hard look at our finances and saying, how, how what can we actually afford to produce? Uh, and so we do need to hear from you right now. The way to do that is by going to sqpn.com slash give, G-I-V-E. Once again, it's sqpn.com slash give. You can uh, either give a one-time donation or what we're really hoping is that you'll become one of our regular monthly supporters on Patreon. If you're able to do that, we have some lovely thank you gifts we'd like to send you. And, uh, you know, time is running out. So we're coming up on Christmas, the anniversary of God's greatest gift to mankind, his own son. So please reciprocate in the spirit of giving by helping SQPN keep producing the podcast that you love, whether it's uh, Secret to Doctor Who, Secret to Star Trek, Let's Talk, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, or any of the new podcasts that we're hoping to be rolling out in the new year. We can only do those things. We can only keep making these great podcasts with your support. So please go to sqpn.com slash give. And since this is a podcast, you could pause it right now and go back, go there and come back and not miss anything. Exactly. And you don't want to miss this because this is, we're going to have a great discussion. Uh, so this is, uh, the penultimate episode or the final episode. It, I, I, I can never figure out how exactly they they number these seasons of Doctor Who and New Who when we have the Christmas slash 
uh, New Year's now yeah. episode. Sometimes, sometimes they seem to group the Christmas or New Year now New Year's episode with the next season or in between them or at the end of this. <laughs> right. For practical purposes, the Battle of Ranskorav Kalos is the season finale. Let's call it that. Okay, uh, and and it, and it ties up an arc that's begun that began way back in the very first episode of the season. So this is the natural season finale, and the. A New Year's episode is going to be a bonus if you want to think of it that way. Right. And speaking of the New Year's episode, we do have a title for that episode. It, the, the, they've just announced some of the information about it, which the title is called, uh, uh, appropriately enough, Resolution. You know, get it? New mm -hmm. Year's Resolution. But it's also... Ooh, I see what they did there. <laughs> yeah. Also hints at maybe resolving something else. Uh, we, we, have, uh, we, we have a trailer that they, they, they uh, released. It's got some sense that we're going to see a bad guy that it might be familiar, perhaps. The tra yeah. trailer doesn't show us, but uh, do you have any predictions, Jimmy? Of uh, Oh, I, it's already been spoiled online exactly oh, has it? Who, it's, okay. who the villain is. Yeah, and you can deduce it from the um, from the trailer because the doctor is saying this is the DNA of the most dangerous creature in the universe, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, in the Doctor Who universe, that's pointing very strongly at one particular race, the Daleks. Yeah. Um, we also know that the they, the BBC has an agreement with the state of Terry Nation to use the Daleks in some capacity at least once a year. And this would make sense for them to do that here. And it's also been spoiled. It's the Daleks. And apparently they've had something of another color makeover. So... <laughs> <laughs> they won't look exactly like the last time we saw them. Of course, those Daleks are always getting makeovers. Uh, yeah. e Extreme Dalek makeover would be a great show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> actually, speaking of Daleks, I have to say, I, I, this is, there's an old um, skit from Mr. Bean, that classic Rowan Atkinson mm -hmm. TV series, where yep. it's a Christmas theme, where he's in a, in a shop, and he, and he sees there's a Christmas uh, display of a nativity scene and various toys, and he kind of acts out with the toys, you know, Various mm -hmm. things coming to interrupt the Christmas scene. And one of them is a Dalek, which is really funny. Uh, it's kind of ah. the Dalek chases the sheep and is, you know, he doesn't. The, the thing with Mr. Bean is he doesn't talk. He only makes, you know, right. grunt, grunting noises. But he makes kind of a like noise. Marks. Yeah, right. And he makes a noise like a Dalek exterminate. It was it's it's very funny. If you can find it online somewhere, uh, it, it's cool. quite humorous. That's also not the only time Rowan Atkinson has uh, dealt with Doctor Who villains because he also played the Doctor in the uh in one of the specials in between uh the classic and the new series oh he, it is a comedy special yeah yeah so he's doing a comedic version of the doctor gosh oh i remember that i think i saw that was hugh grant in that one yes hugh grant is another incarnation of the doctor in the same serial but rowan yeah. atkinson is the main one it was also written by stephen moffat that's right. That was hysterical. If you ever get, a, if you ever find that, I don't know that I could find it now, but it's on YouTube. Yeah, Google Rowan Atkinson Doctor Who. You'll find it. Curse um, of the Fatal Death. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk about Ranskor of Kalos, which is not a and barrel actually, of laughs. Actually, before then, we have a couple of oh, other bits of news. That's right. I'm sorry. Um, that's right. Yep. Yeah, so uh, it's confirmed Chris Chibnall's coming back for the next season. Jodie Whittaker's coming back for the next season. All three of the companions are coming back for the next season. Unfortunately, the next season won't air until um, early 2020. Right. So, so just about a year. New, 
Yeah, so the New Year's special is all we're going to get of Doctor Who in 2019. And it's which it, means on this show we're going to go back to our standard format between uh new, live seasons uh live reviewing new seasons. We're going to go back to our standard format of talking about uh episodes of Doctor Who from both the classic and the new Who era alternating between them. That's right. And uh we're all we have some other fun stuff planned like uh an intro yeah. to the big finish uh, audio plays, uh, which we've talked about. We actually have done uh, mm-hmm. an episode on one of those, uh, which I'm looking forward to because I really want to get into it. And it's such a vast uh, catalog. I don't know where to begin. So this is where we're going to help, you know, help people how to get into the big finish audio plays and some other stuff like that. So you know, make sure you stick around. Uh, because also, after, after our uh, review of the New Year's special, we're going to have a season in review. Uh, because right. we had uh, a, uh, an episode of suggestions for Chris Chibnall before the current season started. And so now we're going to kind of do a report card and say, OK, so how do we think he did? How do you do? Uh, yes, that should be interesting. So uh, stick around for that. You know, one of the things interesting about this, this news that we wait till 2020, it feels like this is the new pattern is, is we want they give us a season and then they take a whole year off and then another season. If we're lucky, it's only a year. Uh, it's it's kind of it, I mean, and it's not just you know Doctor Who. This seems to be a, a pattern in a lot of shows, TV in general, especially streaming TV. But uh, TV in general, it's it. it well, how do you feel about that, Jimmy? I mean, is just in general? Well, I don't like it because I like to. I like if I like something, I want to see more of it soon. Right. I don't want to have to wait a whole year. And so we these days we have these short seasons, like ten episodes in the case of Doctor Who, 13 episodes in the case of most series. And then I've got to wait a year or a year and a half before I get more. And I don't like it at all. The thing, though, is the quality of television. I mean, it's not like it was in the old days back in the 70s or 80s where you'd have or even the 60s where you'd have, you know, 40 episodes or at a minimum 26 episodes a year. And then you'd have three months off before the new season started and you just watch reruns in those in those three months. Um, the the thing is, modern television is so much better yeah. than it was then. And so I think that's their defense is if you really want the good writing and if you really want the good production values, then we need the extra time to do it. And, you know, that's. That's I, I don't know that that's all of why it takes so long. I think some of it is actor scheduling issues, but but um, but basically, I I can live with it. But obviously, I would prefer having the stuff I like out all at once. Right. For me, for shows that are more of like an ongoing story from uh, season to season, episode to episode, it mm-hmm. makes it difficult for me to rem- just even remember what's what was happening in the like yeah. w- w- all right remind what was going on and, and i just forget and with Doctor Who, it's not as much of a problem i mean it's much more episodic than say i don't know game of thrones the, or or the good place the good or place. man in the high castle exactly exactly we're, we're, uh, man in the High castle I had to go back and read the wikipedia article to remember who everybody was and what was going on uh so so that, that that's not as bad but but one of the things that the, the schedule kind of uh confirms or hints that confirming because there's no confirmation that there was a bit of a a dispute between chibnall and bbc bbc wanted the fall 
And Chris Schimmel said, I'm not, I don't have time to get it done by the fall. Um, if you force me, I'm going to do a shortened season and I might quit after that. Uh, it, and that was, yeah. that was concerning. In the case of Doctor Who, I think, I hate to say it this way, but the, the big hang up is the production values. If there's anything that causes Doctor Who to need extra time, it's not the writing. Right. It's the it's the production values, because the writing, especially with these self-contained episodes, I mean, some of it is, uh, you know, I'm not saying the writing is bad. I'm just saying it's not Shakespeare and you don't need the intense amount of time to craft it on the writing level that you do on the visual level. Right, right. And that's the, I mean, with, with 10 hours, you know, of TV, they're essentially creating, you know, half a dozen, you know, five, four or five full length movies in a sense between now and then. Yeah. So, it, you know, and if, and they have those really high production values. So, all right. So that's, so that's the news. Uh, I think we're, that's all the news. So we'll yeah. let's jump into talking about the Ralph Poor. Ranscor of Colos. of Colos. Don't let it destroy your soul. It just trips off the tongue. Uh, so, uh, the, you basically, the doctor gets a, 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 you know, just as a recap, the doctor gets a, a, a distress signal from this planet. They go uh, with, with the companions. They encounter this guy who lost his memory. He's on a mission. Uh, they find that it's the, the, the Stenza. And perhaps their old enemy, uh, Tim Shaw, Zim Shaw, uh, if we want to say it correctly. Yeah. And uh, and and things proceed from there. So, uh, yeah, the, the, so it's a pretty straightforward uh, premise. So let's start from the beginning. We have uh, these these two figures, uh, an older woman, a younger man. They are standing in this uh, quarry. Well, yeah, basically, it's a quarry. So Such nostalgia for Doctor Who rock quarries as alien planets. <laughs> right. Uh, sort of like uh, Southern California deserts for Star, Star Trek. Uh, and it, it's, it, or sound stages, anyway. Yeah. So uh, they're there, and they're, they're about to perform, do some sort of task. The younger one, in fact, is, is about to do it. He has some sort of power that allows him to manipulate rock or something uh, telepathically, we'll, we'll say. Or sometimes mentally, mentally, yeah. Um, I don't know that the res- that he's reading the rock's mind. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, probably meant I probably meant to say telekinetically, but uh, yes, yeah. uh, uh, using uh, uh, non physical powers, and they're interrupted in this pro- and it's a bit dangerous process. And they you know you get the sense mm-hmm. it's a big deal, and they're interrupted they're, by they're, the. They're also they're all, the woman is also talking to him about like the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. And right. It's like, ooh, that's the Dunning Kruger effect. That's a well-known <laughs> cognitive bias. Right. People who know little assume that they're super competent, and it's that only wears away as you start to actually become competent. <laughs> and then you have imposter syndrome. Uh, yeah. So, right. In fact, there's you get the idea uh, that's it's conveyed pretty clearly that they are a religious group or religious people. Yeah. They have a religious they're role. Talking about the creator and stuff like that. Yeah. So what is it? So what is it? She says, the more we learn, the less we realize we know this is our faith. This is our existence. The creator would contend the world is not to be understood, only experienced and built. And I thought that was an interesting uh, comment. The, the creator would contend the world is not to be understood, only experienced. And uh, we might say stewarded or yeah. what do you think of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's an aspect of truth to it, but I, I think 
the world is to be partially understood. It's yeah. not that the world is not to be understood at all. Right. You, you can't, you're not going to plumb the depths of the mystery. Yeah. God gave us reason to partially understand the mystery of the world that he's given us, but we're not going to be able to fully do it. And and so we're told that this younger figure, his name is Delph. He's trained for 17 years to do something called shape the world and whatever whatever that means. We'll find out as we go along. Um, and then they're interrupted by the arrival of some figure in this blue light. Yeah. Teleports uh, but, in. Yes. And we don't know um, who he is, although I think it's the 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 woman. I don't I didn't remember her name. Oh, her name is Andinio. Andinio. OK, that's why I didn't write down because I didn't know how to spell it. Uh, but Andinio, uh, I think she identifies as the as the creator. Does she identify him as the creator at this point? I didn't catch it in that scene, but obviously from later they've inferred that the arriving figure is the creator. OK. And then we get um, uh, like a screen card that says 3,407 years later. Um, yeah. And that's where we then come, come to the TARDIS. Um, and the doctor says we're getting nine calls for help all coming from the same place on one planet. Now, were the nine calls for help coming from the nine, like from nine Space different ships. ships that had crashed? Yeah. Okay. They're like automated calls. All right. Right. And they then teleport in the TARDIS into one of them. Uh, they also translate the name Ranskor Avkolos for us. Apparently, the TARDIS didn't translate it for some reason, but she says, roughly speaking, it means disintegrator of the soul, mm. which uh, seems to refer, they don't really follow up on that, but it seems to refer to the fact that the, the planet itself has a telepathic field that does damage to your mind. Right. And so to to block that, the doctor has these mood inhibitor devices. She calls them neural stabilizers that she makes everybody wear. And don't lose it or you'll go insane. Thus, yeah. we have Chekhov's uh, neural some, stabilizer. Someone, someone's <laughs> going to take it off at some point. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so they're, they're inside this, uh, this crashed ship or this ship. I don't know if it's not crashed. Mm -hmm. It's landed, but they're inside it. And they encounter a man with a gun who has no memory. Um, mm -hmm. And it's an interesting device that they're using, a narrative device they're using here, where they have someone who who knows stuff, but will only be yeah. able to reveal it over time as you go, as, as the story progresses. Right. So they slap a neural stabilizer on him <clears throat> and the doctor immediately tells him, don't push. It's going to take time for stuff to come back to you. And I thought... Ah, writing convenience. They're going to be <laughs> dripping out information as the episode goes along as they need to fill in the plot for us. <laughs> exactly. um, so it's like because he knows he should have left for some reason, but he doesn't know why. Well, guess what? We're going to have a dramatic reveal on that later. Yeah, exactly. Like this is this is the this is the temporary guest cast equivalent of the doctor not being quite able to remember something and then coming up with it later. Well, in fact, she does that, I think, like. She At least twice either. in this in this yeah. episode too. Uh, so, it, in fact, um, if he if he had all of his memory, it would remove a lot of the drama. Yeah. Uh, most of the drama is is created by his, you know, at least through the first two thirds of the episode, is created by his 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 uh, loss of memory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, personally, <clears throat> I I find this to be weak writing. Um, I it, it it's such a a a cliche it's a crutch in writing to have the characters 
not be able to remember and then stuff slowly comes back to them as it's needed. Uh, it, it's the equivalent in Sherlock Holmes stories, which and this happens in quite a number of them, where somebody withholds a piece of information at the very beginning that would have otherwise completely collapsed the story if they'd done the obvious thing and say, no, I'm not a vampire. I was trying to suck poison out of our son's neck. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Otherwise, the Sherlock Holmes story doesn't get going. And so you have these bizarre withholdings of information sometimes. Right. It's just it's almost like uh, what maybe like one of the more modern Star Trek writers would do. I mean, it's sort of a Star Trek device of the withholding of that information. Uh, so it's yeah, it's it it is it is a bit of a weak uh, writing uh, crutch. Uh, so we have uh, the reveal of who this this creature was who showed up uh, with the the Delph and uh, uh, it's Canon Dagua, New York. I don't know whatever name uh, is. The the other aliens are called the Ux. Right. Learn. Right. Oh, I'll just call them the Ux. Um, yeah. Also, the guy who gets his memory back slowly is named Paltraki. Yes. Yes. He gets that pretty, pretty quickly. And so we have on screen, we have the, the we get the big baddie and it's Simsha, the the Stenza. Uh, they're not yeah. quite, they, they knew it's a Stenza, not quite sure it's Simsha, but eventually we find out that it is. And in fact, he was sent when the doctor in uh, the, the woman who fell to earth, the first episode of the season, when she hijacked his teleport and knocked him back to his planet. In fact, she didn't. She knocked him 3,400 years into the past or mm, That's present. not what I got. I, I got she knocked him sideways in space onto this pl- onto Ranskorav Kolos. But, but this and, is 3,400 years right. in our future? That's what I took. I okay. took this as being the year 5425. Okay. Um, yeah. And so that's a future Earth. But you could be right. You could right. because um, they to up the drama. And I think this would be another writing flaw because they didn't make it clear one way or the other. Is that present Earth that's about to be shrunk or is that future Earth that's about to be shrunk? Obviously, present Earth is going to be much more emotive for the audience than something 3000 years in the future. And and the companions, I mean, especially and, given and the. Com- yeah. yeah. Because Yaz says it's 7 billion people, which in 3,400 years may or may not be how many people. Might not be the case. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're right. right. Yeah. I think they don't, they didn't make it clear enough for me to catch it on a first watch. And they didn't give us what they could have done to give us more drama is show people running around screaming with a red force field in the sky. Yeah. But they didn't. Right. All we saw was the earth from from space yeah and so and so he has assumed the the role or the persona of the ooks's god the creator what a bunch of rubes (laughs) for people who are like almost nearly all powerful who can shape creation literally shape creation with their minds they seem to be very easy yeah they seem very easily uh duped by you know guy who teleports in Um, yeah so it's, what on earth? And uh, this is another writing flaw. They didn't provide us a rationale for why would they think this guy is the creator? I mean, 
you just don't assume that most people you meet are the creator. <laughs> and and so if you want someone to think that someone they've met is the creator, you need to give us some kind of reason why. Right. And and, and we're also told about the Ooks is that they live for millennia, the doctor says, when she, when we, she finally yeah. figures out who they are, um, and that there are only ever two which to be two, there are a master and apprentice. I know <laughs> they're like this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which raises the questions, which I, maybe I don't want to answer. Is is if there's only ever two, where yep. do new ooks come from? <laughs> yep, and you know, having on, there be only two of you is a lousy survival strategy. Whether you're a six, a, a Sith, or an ooks, yes, you really want a breeding population that's a lot bigger than that. Because <laughs> one of you right. gets killed, your species ends. I mean, given that they, um, they can shape reality with their minds. Maybe they reproduce through parthenogenesis or something. Uh, or they may be like they're phoenixes or or, mm. or they regenerate, uh, something like that. Yeah, something uh, like that. But still, yeah, doesn't make sense biologically. No. So we find out that uh, Paul Traki took something from uh, T- Tim Shaw and. Oh, we can just say Tim Shaw. They say it in the episode. OK, because it's a lot easier <laughs> to say Tim Shaw, uh, although he's credited in this one. He's credited as uh, the character is Tim Shaw. As opposed to uh-huh. the first episode, which it was Tim Shaw, which is it's mm-hmm. kind of funny. Um, so he took something, and although Potraki says, "I re- actually I recovered it," we're not sure what it is. The doctor f- figures out it's this crystal-looking thing with a ball inside, spinning that, ball in it. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, what is that spinning ball? And it's something she scans it with the sonic and says it's insanely super dense, but it's even weirder because I can pick it up like it's nothing. Right. It's and it's a combination of uh, we find out Stenza technology with Ooks's abilities uh, have 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 created this uh, and we'll find out what it is. And then we come to this this uh, scene where once again, I think the best part of the episode is Graham and where Mm -hmm. we have Graham pulls the doctor aside and says, Doc, I want to talk to you alone for a second. If I you know, when we see Tim Shaw. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> like he just, if I can. Yeah. Right off the bat. He's just I'm like, I, I want you to know. And the doctor's like, no, you go back. And he says, I'm not going back. And then she tries to say, you're better than this. You know, you, you, you I, I'm not going to let you do this. And he, and he kind of just, it has this, this quiet resolve, this stern, mm-hmm. uh, grim resolve. He's not blustering. He's not. And I thought this was so well done. Just, yeah, I, I liked that about and, him. And until they discover the stasis chambers, Graham is 100 percent right. Yes, because what they did <clears throat> was the as he puts it later, we did not get rid of that thing properly. And now look what's happened. I mean, right. he's the Tim. Tim Shaw has when they just teleported him away. He's now enslaved incredibly powerful beings to him religiously and bunches of people have died because they've been sucking. We're going to later find out they've been destroying planets and all of their populations are dead. And the surviving planets in the Alliance have been sending ships, which have he's been murdering people from. And Graham is absolutely right. You are you have not dealt effectively with this threat. You just pushed it off on other people and millions or billions of people have died as a result of the doctor's refusal 
to use lethal force when necessary and warranted. Graham is not simply after revenge. He's after justice and protection of the innocent. So this is this would be a moral use of force, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because the because the, the, the moral principle is, you know, it is you, you have to safeguard life, um, you know, and where and where the unintentional side effect is that, that the only way to safeguard life is you have to kill. Right. Sim, you can't Tim call Shaw. the space cops and bring them in here. The space cops have tried and he's been killing them. Right. So if you have the ability, if the only other way to deal with it is vigilante justice, it is warranted in this situation unless you come up with an alternative, which this being the Doctor Who universe, they do. But until that happens, Graham is 100 percent right. And the doctor is simply wrong. Well, and there's another uh, moment uh, right after that where the doctor sort of called on her sort of arbitrary uh, superiority, moral superiority, uh, when, you know, the, Ryan calls her on her no weapons. She's like, he, he called her on yeah. her no weapons rule where she's about to use weapons. And mm-hmm. she says, inanimate objects are fair game for for use of weapons on. And, and that's, that's anything a, that can be replaced. Right. And that's valid. Yeah. Rebuilt or replaced. Uh, and and that's a valid you know uh, idea, but he says, "Well, you stopped me from shooting the sniper bot, uh, which is an inanimate object." And she says, "Well, you were new, and by the way, don't quote my rules back to me because I change the rules all the time." Yeah, <laughs> which- and, and and that's something that I think is is a a good thing for them to have done here, not just artistically, but I think Jodie Whittaker's doctor. And this is continuing a trend from recent doctors, but I think she's the most pacifist doctor we've ever had. Yeah. Um, Other doctors had no problem killing people. I mean, they didn't do it with relish. They they weren't out. They weren't bloodthirsty, but they had no problem using lethal force. Um, And even recent doctors, when they've been confronted with an extreme threat like the Daleks have have or the Time Lords have been willing to use lethal force. Right. And um, so it'll be interesting for me to see the New Year's special where she confronts the Daleks and does that shake her pacifism? But thus far, she seems to be the most pacifist of all of the doctors, which is I can accept as a as a uh, as as a uh, on the writing level is, OK, that's who she is as a character. Um, and people change over time and regeneration shakes up your neural pathways, your views on things do change. So I can accept her being a pacifist doctor or almost totally pacifist doctor, but um, it still doesn't make me agree with pacifism. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, we'll pro- I'm sure we'll talk about this more in our retrospective of the season, but I feel like this, and I, th- and I think we've talked about this before, this this doctor the 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 thirteenth doctor is a reaction to the twelfth doctor's extreme cynicism, mm-hmm. and 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 also the willingness of the past few doctors to use force at times. Now they were they weren't exactly you know uh, free wheeling out there like the like the third doctor perhaps, but mm-hmm. they they are they were you know they were less they were much more likely to use force when necessary than this doctor was. Certainly uh, 9, 10, and 11 were, especially 9 and 10. I can think of examples off the top of my head where they were. Um, The 12th Doctor, Peter Capaldi, he was very anti-anything military. Right. I kind of view him as a precursor to this Doctor. Right. But he he did have the very super cynical 
abrasive outlook. Um, I can't. He may have been willing to use lethal force in some circumstances, but if so, it's not coming to mind. Okay. So uh, moving on in the story, the we have the the doctor. We have the the uh, companion separation. That's the uh, the the one of our two major uh, ways to build drama in a Doctor Who episode. And so that we have companion. Oh. Before we get there, they come up on this sh- on this spaceship that's hovering in the sky. Right. Well, that's and, well, right. Oh, or, or, and and yeah. it's like, ooh, we've suddenly stepped into the movie The Arrival. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like you sort of along the lines of what Delph was putting together earlier in the mm-hmm. beginning of the episode with those rocks. It's sort of got this rockish uh, look to it, hovering in the air. Uh, so you think maybe that's somehow connected. And so they they have this split up, and uh, Yaz and Peltraki are sent on the original mission objective, this recovery of objects. Uh, Graham and Ryan are sent to rescue the remaining hostages. One has been killed by uh, Tim Shaw, uh, but they're unarmed. And that was one of the things. So Peltraki's got a weapon, but Yaz, Graham, and Ryan are unarmed, and they're going into this dangerous place that soldiers have been captured or killed in. And I, I was thinking to myself, why is it that the doctor thinks that the companions are capable of carrying out these very well, difficult missions? She's given them these devices. I mean, she had a bunch of devices there, and I know she gave like Graham and Ryan these decoder devices right. to try to crack the locks that are holding the hostages. Um, she also has a bunch of grenades, and she keeps two of the grenades, but she hands out some of the others. And so I thought maybe they all got grenades or something. I wasn't clear okay. on that. I mean, Yaz is, as we've said, it's a policewoman. You know, she's a police officer. Mm-hmm. You know, she obviously must have weapons training as a, uh, although I would assume that even though most uh, British uh, uh, PCs are, are not armed. Armed as a matter of course, they surely have had weapons training. Right. I would think, I would think so. Uh, maybe someone could enlighten us on that. Uh, but. But Ryan is, you know, essentially what twenty twenty one years old is a you know works in a warehouse. I mean, mm. what, what on what basis? Like they, he and Graham almost and, get killed by the sniper and, bots. And, yeah, and Ryan has a physical disability. On the other hand, a grenade if you, if you can't aim straight, <laughs> a grenade is probably the kind of weapon you would want to use. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Grenades, so you just got to get it near them. Uh, so yeah, they, like I said, they do encounter the sniper bots uh, that uh, we we saw in Ghost Monument episode earlier. Uh, and uh, the uh, Tim Shaw has appropriated those for his his own uh, uses here, and they escape from them. Uh, sniper bots for for being quote unquote oh. snipers are pretty bad shots. <clears throat> They're really bad. Um, I mean, these robots have a terrible friend or foe system because <clears throat> they the, Graham and Ryan are between two rows of uh, sniper bots who are pointing their guns at them and their solution is to duck so that the sniper bots shoot each other. And it's like, <laughs> come on our before humans deploy uh, autonomous killing robots in battle, they're going to have better friend or foe <laughs> systems than that. If, if you are, um, if you just imagine human beings standing there and you've got two lines of them and people trapped in the middle and the people duck you will just aim down. <laughs> exactly. Even stormtroopers <laughs> wouldn't fall for that one. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we the, the doctor realizes that the 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 woman and the younger man are ooks. 
that and you know, has that explanation about that there's only two of them, the millennia she that thinks, they live, and says it's super cool. It must be so awesome to be you. Yeah, although you know she lives for millennia, but she says uh, they are faith-driven dimensional engineers, and that they're in a living building. I thought that was an interesting idea of mm-hmm. their faith-driven dimension. It's their faith that gives them the ability to shape reality uh, mm-hmm. around them. And it's, I feel like it, it's almost like an interesting take on the idea of, from the book of Genesis, about being being given stewardship over creation. I mean, they've essentially been given stu- a stewardship over creation that allows them to shape it in ways that we, even we can't shape the creation we've been given stewardship of. I don't know. I thought that was an interesting I concept. I didn't get that it was their faith that made that possible, but it may be. Yeah, well, I mean, the the doctor uses the phrase "faith-driven dimensional engineers," so I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe faith is their is their their cultural driving force, but right. It, maybe what, it's also what powers their abilities. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's an interesting question. Uh, and when, then we find out that the Congress of the Nine Planets sent Peltraki and his fleet in response to these atrocities. And what we learn is, is the atrocity is they they is. The, each of the nine planets is being captured and packaged in these tiny or, or relatively tiny crystals, crystals that uh, that are being held inside this building. Um, and this is not the first time we've seen this on Doctor Who. Uh, way back during Tom Baker's time, there was a series uh, season uh, known as the Key to Time. And one of the series within that season, the pirate planet, was about a planet that would shrink, they would like appear around other planets and then suck the resources out of them. And one of the planets that it tried to do this to, the planet Calufrax, turned out to be a segment of the key to time. Um, but uh, the pirate planet had also been shrinking down other planets that it was holding in like gravitational balance with each other. And so we've seen this concept of we've got these multiple planets here shrunk down in a small space. And there are issues with are they balancing each other properly and what happens if we bring a new one in. Right. And that's one of the things that Dr. Warns is that you that having all of these planets in this condition in close proximity is is so dangerous that it will destroy all the planets and the one they're standing on and they'll yeah. all die. Uh, and and Tim Shaw doesn't seem to care at this point. He's probably, you know, it's almost like he's been driven mad by his fate that he's he was injured in the in in one in somehow in this teleportation that brought him to this place and is reliant yeah. on these these life support systems yeah and he says the ook spent so much time keeping him alive and it's like why would you worship him then <laughs> if you had to it's like if you have to if you have to save somebody's life it's not really a good argument that he's a god I mean, right. if he's I mean, I'm not saying gods can't be injured and die, but it's but it, it, they would if it, it has to sort of be like voluntary, you know, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Right. If 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 he's just dying and can't help himself, um, it, it, how is he a god? Right. And and it's, it's sort of this is the, the message that's coming across is like. Because they are follow the Ooks are following him in a, a sort of blind faith that is destroying just, not only themselves by by through the Delph being uh, uh, very um, obvious crucifixion analogy. You know they're in yeah. this device that looks like a crucifix, 
um, mm-hmm. destroying themselves, destroying others. And a stained glass window. <laughs> right. It does have that look to it. You know, th- this idea that, you know, the that their blind faith in following this false god does is it does so much damage is is bad for everyone it's it's it creating so much evil um by by the way one thing i wanted to note here because some people have on online like you watch videos on youtube and some people in talking about the gender change on doctor who and in other franchises where you have like star wars the last jedi it's been criticized for saying well the females are always right and the males are always wrong you know, right, we have this right. anti-male narrative going on. Well, we don't have that in this episode. Uh, right. Because you look at the two Ooks and Delph, the male, is the one who's saying this is wrong. And it's um, Andinio, the female, who is the gung-ho, We this guy is the creator one. <laughs> right. And we got to obey him. It's like, the in this case, it's the woman who's wrong. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, it's not, it's not so clearly... Uh, one way or the other, and uh, and then one thing the doctor says to to her is in refuting this is, don't you see, you are the creators. Now I think some could take this as saying you are the gods. You know that you know there is no god. You are God because of your abilities. But I don't think she's saying that. I think what she's saying is is Tim Shaw is using your natural abilities to make himself into the creator. When mm-hmm. you are the one doing the work, you're the one who's without you, he's nothing. And yeah. and I think that's really what she's saying in that in that moment. As as always, I don't think the show is really taking a stand on religion. <clears throat> you notice at the end, she tells the Ooks to keep their faith. Yes. And we know their faith is based in a creator. In fact, as soon as they realize Tim Shaw is not the creator, um, uh, Andinio starts talking about the true creator right. and his will. Exactly. So, you know, they're as usual, they're being religiously neutral on the show. Well, it, in fact, at one point, the doctor kind of calls out to the to the universe, quote unquote, uh, to help her as as she's trying to uh, restore these planets and stop him, uh, Tim Shaw from stealing Earth. Uh, you know, she says, come on, universe, help me. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, help me help you. Uh, and she says, uh, Tim Shaw might have a shrine, but I have a ghost monument again. Uh, Reference back to the second episode. Um, also, Graham in this moment, while Graham and Ryan and all of this are trying to rescue uh, all of these people that are who are held prisoner in these stasis chambers using the, these decoders, as the sniper bots are coming down on them, um, and uh, there's a moment where he stays behind to kind of a blow up the, sni- the uh, sniper bots, and just as they come in, he yells. Yippee Kaye robots. I'm like, yeah, diehard reference. <laughs> yeah. And stop just short of the part of that line that you couldn't say on children's television. <laughs> exactly. But but the rest of us uh, knew exactly what, what he was saying. Um, there, there's a uh, let's see. The, Tim Shaw uh, shows up. Um, Ryan stays behind with Graham uh, and the you know Tim Shaw confronts uh Graham before he knows mm-hmm. that Ryan is there and and Graham has this moment where he has to decide whether he's going to shoot Tim Shaw or not and he doesn't and Tim Shaw calls him weak for mm-hmm. not and shooting then, and then starts to attack him right at which point 
Uh, he shoots him in the foot. Shoots, shoots him in the And Ryan says, you shot him. And he says, yeah, but just in the foot to shut him up. Don't tell the doc. She'll be livid. <laughs> which, yeah. <laughs> which is a great, a great moment. But uh, he realizes that moment. He, he has a solution. I don't have to kill him. We can imprison him in the stasis chamber, which frankly, I don't know. I mean, is that that he can it's still a, get out of it? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Um, so they they later tell us the Oaks do that no one's going to be able to get into the ship because they sealed it. But come on, this is Doctor Who. Villains come back and kill more people. Right. I, I have a feeling that uh, this is not the last we'll see of Tim Shaw. Um, and there is the uh, Graham has this last line that he says to uh, Tim Shaw before they they seal him in the stasis chamber. He says, uh, as you're contemplating eternity, keep one name on your mind. Grace. Referring yeah. to Grace, the, you know, uh, and, Graham's and he wife. And, and he and Ryan both say Grace at the same moment, which is right. cool. Also, it occurs to me, I mean, it occurred to me that what the, and I don't know that Chris Chibnall intended this, but they're actually showing him grace at that moment because he deserves right. to die. Right. And but they're actually showing him grace at that moment by imprisoning him instead. Yeah. And in fact, there's a there's a sort of as you know, the, again, like you say, probably unintentional, but there's a certain Christian truth in that as you're contemplating eternity, remember grace because mm -hmm. eternity, you know, especially heaven is is a grace for us and i just thought that was kind of a nice uh a nice reminder even as i'm watching dark who which is why we we talk about these things because sometimes there are deeper layers and hidden meanings that are, may not be intended by the the show creators but are there yeah. nonetheless um and then uh you know the 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 ooks you know pray they say praise the true creator's will and we we see they haven't lost their faith and that's a nice uh reminders that you know, that Sometimes in shows like this, where the the people of faith who are are taken advantage of, their faith is taken advantage of, they they become cynical and they 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 their eyes are opened and they 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 are no longer, you know, blind followers of a god. They haven't lost their faith despite what has happened, and I I like that as well. Mm -hmm. And then um, yeah. uh, and then we you know we kind of wrap things up from there. I mean, uh, th there's a you know, we're the the Ooks, like you said, seal the building. The uh, Paltraki and his people go their own way, and the Doctor and the companions, the the family, she calls them. That's what they call themselves now. Is fam. Uh, they go back to the TARDIS, and there's a nice moment, another nice moment between Graham and Ryan, where uh, Ryan calls Graham Granddad again, and then even admits he loves him, which is mm -hmm. uh, a nice moment. Yeah. So I had several uh, smaller things to mention, if that's okay. Sure. So one of the things that occurred to me, some larger issues first, even though I've criticized an, at a number of points the writing in this episode, I wanted to say that in terms of, I think it, in terms of feel, despite writing problems on individual levels, it really succeeds in yeah. establishing a dark mood and a looming ominous atmosphere. And you just feel that all the way through the um, the pacing is such that I, I happened to look down at the halfway mark in the episode and thought we're already halfway through with this. Yeah, it didn't feel like it, it was that long. It, it So I, I, I thought that it had some really good aspects to the writing, too. The pace was good. The mood was good. It was very effective. I thought it looked good. Um, 
I also really like that we have an earned ending at the end. Yes. The solution is not deal with the critical failure point, kill the queen vampire, and all of the other vampires die. Instead, they have to earn the ending piece by piece by putting together all of these different elements in their different teams. And even though this is, you know, fantasy and and they're, you know, a lot of it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in real world terms, the fact that we have to cobble together an ending at a plot solution out of a bunch of different pieces rather than having one magical fix everything thing you've got to do is something that I really like. That's that's good writing. Um I uh I also liked uh individual points of dialogue I thought were really good. I liked how uh w- there were some scenes with Ryan and Graham where mm-hmm. uh Graham was talking about Grace and sa- he said she liked being alive and she was really good at it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <good>. <laughs> I thought that was nice. Um, I liked in uh, another one of those scenes where Ryan is trying to convince Graham not to kill Tim Shaw, and he um, he, he expresses familial affection for him, and Graham, rather than just instantly melting, says, "I've been waiting for that for too long," right. and Ryan bounces it back with, "Maybe, but you've got it now, and I love you," and. And then Graham is understandably what? And and Ryan says a believable thing, given what they've established um, his character is being like. He says, I'm not saying it twice. Don't pretend you didn't hear me the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was good. Um, the doctor had a nice line when she first meets Tim Shaw and he explains he's been here for 3,407 years. And she says, "Ooh, I bet the last seven really drag. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. The the doctor can often have, uh, especially in New Who, uh, a, a a sharp barbed tongue. Uh, you know, sometimes with the with the zingers on on people. That's a good one. Um, I thought that the writing was weaker when when as part of the solution they're saying the the doctor and Yaz are going. We can't disconnect the Ooks from this machinery because we don't know what happened, what would happen, and it might cause things to go really bad. And then they get both simultaneously get the idea, wait, let's slap neural balancers on them to cut off their telepathic contact with the machinery. And I'm going, number one, are the neural balancers designed for your brain's going to be strong enough to block all of the telepathic power these beings are putting out and number two isn't that just another way of saying let's disconnect them which was the very thing you said was too dangerous right right um but i you know i could accept that well then there's Um, there's the the mm -hmm. the 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 related problem which is oh we have to use the neural balances that are that we're using uh so we're now going to be susceptible to the to the planet's influence which yeah, doesn't really go anywhere. That doesn't act. No, nothing they really get headaches. Happen. Yeah, and, they don't start hallucinating or anything. And then the doctor calls the TARDIS, which presumably she could get a couple more neural balancers out of it if she needed mm. them, which she yeah. didn't. And so that was, like you said, that was a bit of a loose end or or, or a bit of weak writing. Yeah. Um, another kind of plot hole there is Ryan has been sent down to the surface of the planet with. 
Paltraki to help evacuate people. And then once he sees they're kind of safe, he comes back to, for Graham. But how does he get back up on the ship? He doesn't have a sonic screwdriver to knock on the door with. Right. <laughs> um, but they they just gloss over that. Um, I liked that uh, the doctor uses the clapper on the TARDIS when she comes in to turn on the lights. Notice that. Yeah. Um, the, I liked that uh, Ryan finally gave Graham a fist bump, which yep. uh, Graham had sought from Ryan a couple of times this season and not received. And I also liked Andinio uh, when she's defending before she realizes Tim Shaw is a false God, she's defending him and says, he is my truth. He is our truth when the doctor has just been explaining that he's a false god. And it's like, there's that subjective truth language. And it's like, right. yes, I love seeing this, my truth, your truth language exposed for what it is. I don't care what you think the truth is. Truth is objective and real, and we need to conform our views to what's objective and real. If you want to grapple with the world realistically, there's this my truth is somehow subjective and 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 it's okay for me to believe whatever i want regardless of what the facts indicate is um pernicious relativism right yes that was excellent um so if there's a, i got a couple other bits of just little uh, uh -huh. easter eggs um the doctor mentions the tardis regressing a slovene back to an egg yep. uh, we saw that in boomtown uh, with the mm -hmm. uh, the 10th doctor is it the tenth doctor or the ninth yeah. doctor? It was, the, it was the ninth doctor, actually. Okay, all right. So, and then, um, and then she mentions towing the Earth halfway across the universe. Oh, uh, one of the one? stupidest moments in all of Doctor Who. That's from the uh, uh, that's from the end of time story. Okay, this yes. no, it's 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 one of the um, it's towards the end of of David Tennant's run. It's the it's journey's end. The Journeys in the Daleks yeah. kidnap Earth and a bunch of other planets, and the Doctor uses the TARDIS to tow the Earth back. Right, it's the Donna Noble exit story. Yeah, when Rose came back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was that one, and then uh, and then just the idea of the Doctor summoning the TARDIS with the sonic screwdriver. I thought mm -hmm. that was uh, an interesting a little bit there. So. Um, all right, so I think that's that sort of wraps up what we have to say about uh, Ranscore of Kolos. Uh, but I do want to discuss some feedback we got. We got quite a bit of Ooh. feedback this week. Awesome. Uh, so on It Takes You Away, uh, Danny Butler says the uh, the case file video. Now, uh, to to, uh, to explain, the B BBC has their, on their website, they have a Doctor Who section, and every week they have a video related to the current episode with some, you know, behind and, the scenes sort of stuff. And the, if I remember correctly, the case file episodes are in universe explainers. Right. So you'll have Yaz, for example, talking about we met this Pating and here's what happened. Yes. Yes. And so in this one, uh, it, the, the case file video for it takes you away, suggests that there are more creatures like ribbons in the flesh moth living in the anti-zone. Um, mm. Okay. Uh, and and, uh, and like I didn't mention, this was Danny Butler writing this on Facebook. He says, I think the writers don't explore too much in in universe beings and places because they want to focus on the small stories, which I get. But yeah, you, you, there's a balance. If, if you're going to introduce something, you got to you got to use it. Um, mm -hmm. Says it feels like the whole series 11 has a strong focus and emphasis on characters, which must have been decided in the writer's room during the pre-production stage. What do you think? <laughs> 
I think actually that's been said. I think Chris oh, Chibnall yeah. has come right out and said that they're much more interested in talking about characters than they are on mythology and the other uh, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, and to the extent we'd have a season arc, it would be principally about the characters and their development, which even applies in a way to Tim Shaw. Right. Yes. Uh, yes, we're working on his character. Uh, see, and then uh, Ricky Angelini also on Facebook says the the end of the story really, really sort of fell apart. The talking frog didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> the talking frog was a hurdle to overcome. I could accept the concept, but the pra- it looked like a practical prop. And yeah. its mouth just didn't work with the dialogue coming out of it. Yes. Um, the uh, Jeff Miller says, uh, this might be my favorite episode of the season, as I like the horror movie vibe along with some of mm-hmm. the dialogue. The Sconic Screwdriver as a weapon bluff seemed a bit odd. It immediately seemed out of place to me, especially considering the direction of some of the previous episodes, the Doctor's attitude about weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding the balance between the Anti-Zone and Solitrack segments, it, while I liked the Anti-Zone part, the solo track had a lot of exposition as an info dump and some new Hoover's info. So I think what he's saying there is um, that uh, I, I guess that the, just the solo track I, I, didn't I, have a whole lot of action. Uh, yeah, he might be meaning, though, because I think one of the criticisms that uh, that I think you may have made, Dom, was that uh, you thought the solo track thing kind of uh, got more attention and we and had an interest in seeing a more substantial um solid track sequence and i think he may be saying that um that actually we did get uh, a quite a bit of substance in the solid track thing yeah. but it's you know your opinion that it still would have been nice to have even more would still be a valid view yeah i guess i think yeah my my point um i guess the anti zone stuff was more action and the solid track stuff was more exposition from looking back at it and that might have been why they did it the way they did um mm-hmm. uh, whereas if you didn't have the anti-zone stuff it would be a whole lot of just exposition and people mm-hmm. talking about stuff so i guess i could see that trying to balance it um he says the frog acid trip scene was just odd it would seem the solid track would want to be more presentable to the doctor i could see shifting away from eric's wife and maybe the frog is an allusion to grace's frog necklace that graham wears yeah, I think that was clearly a, an allusion yeah. to Grace's necklace. But you're right. Like, what? Like, why would the frog be appealing to the doctor? It's just odd. Um, good character development, and I like the understated way they have the relationship develop between Graham and Ryan. Graham's portrayal really adds weight as a companion. Very well done. And I'm on record as agreeing with that. Um, John Scrivo says, "Great podcast as always." One thing that the Solid Trek universe reminded me of was the Nexus in Star Trek Generations. Interesting idea. Hmm. Um, where that was like a zone where Captain Kirk sort of created uh, a reality, his ideal reality, uh, from mm-hmm. his presence there. Um, I also thought the anti zone felt underdeveloped. Rib- Ribbon seemed like a savvy survivor and then appeared to make a foolish mistake of lunging for the Sonic. Also, why didn't he bring more rat snacks for the moths? Well, that, I have to agree. When you don't <laughs> leave home without enough rat snacks, I just, in general. Um, last thought, why didn't Eric just bring Hannah with him into the Solid Track universe instead of abandoning, abandoning her? Maybe deep down he realized, too, that his wife in this alternate universe was a fraud. Yeah, I think they don't really explain why Eric didn't bring his daughter with him, because that that would be a logical thing to do. Right. Instead of abandoning her <laughs> yeah. it, by scaring her. Yeah. 
Well, uh, only temporarily. I mean, he was coming back. He was just delaying. Right, right. Um, and then there was another uh, bit of feedback that just came in uh, either this morning or last night. And I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. to have to find it quick. But it was from um, a listener, Alfredo Bar- Barunda, who on the Witchfinders episode, he mentioned we talked about the. Uh, oh, yeah. What's uh, written on, on King James's garter. Yes. And it's from the Order of the Garter. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, and there's a knighthood, order of knighthood. And there's a Wikipedia page if you want to read about the Order of the Gar- Garter. He included that very helpfully. Yeah, you find that on our, on our Facebook page. So uh, so that's... By, by the way, I, I saw one other piece of feedback uh, that comes to mind where someone commented, uh, commenting on It Takes You Away, where we have the frog at the end, and and someone commented that it reminded them of the doorman in the current season of The Good Place, because the doorman also is a fan of frog symbols and frogs play an interesting <laughs> role in the plot as a result. And um, and yes, I thought of exactly the same thing <laughs> when true. I saw it, too. I thought of the doorman in The Good Place. That is. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that is <laughs> uh, excellent. So um, just trying to see. The, I think that's it for feedback. Oh, there is one other little bit of news that we put on our web page just really on our facebook page uh that there's a another new animation of a missing dark who serial oh yeah co- coming next year in early 2019 the macro terror macro terror which is a uh, second doctor patrick troughton uh yeah. serial so giant space crabs <laughs> so uh, you know maybe if we could get get uh, uh access to that uh for ourselves we might be do it an episode where we t- where we discuss that so that'd be oh good. we should totally do that yeah all right, so um, re- remember, folks, to like Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter, uh, leave us comments, uh, subscribe. If you have not yet subscribed in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, where if you do subscribe, hit the bell in order to get notifications when we post a new episode and share the podcast with your friends to help us grow this community and reach more listeners. I mean, we have a wonderful growing community of Doctor Who fans and listeners who provide this excellent feedback, and uh, we'd love to get more and more of you to join us. So uh, that's it from us. What did you think of the Battle of Ranscor of Colos? Uh, let us know by going to sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, finding the link to this episode and leaving us some feedback, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. You can find links to all of our personal social media and our website's on our show notes on sqpn.com. Remember, if you can, please go to sqpn.com slash give to help support this show and all of our shows on the SQPN network so that we can continue to do uh, this uh, podcast and all of those podcasts. Uh, We really do appreciate that, but time is running out, so don't delay. And now that the podcast is over, you can go there and not miss anything. (laughs) Exactly. So we'll wrap it up so that you can do that by, so I'll say, well, next time, We'll be back. We'll discuss the 10th Doctor episode, The Shakespeare Code, and all three of us will be back for that. Uh, Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, none of us knows what's out there. Keep your faith. Travel hopefully. Right. This is going to be fun. This is Dom Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity.
To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give.